today on Ag News Daily. 173 horsepower Cummins diesel engine has a direct drive um, shaft that goes to that fan and spins it. Uh, we run about 2200 RPM. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, which means it is hashtag Tech Tuesday on the show. And we'll be talking a little bit later with a fascinating company out of California building automated sprayers. But before we get into that, I am Mike Pearson. I am joined today by the fantastic Madison Honkamp. Madison, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Mike. What about you? You know, I can't complain one bit. I am doing very well. I'm inside. It is air conditioned, so I've got nothing to complain about. Yeah, exactly. The air is working, so you can't complain about a lot. For sure. But I tell you what, Madison, actually, we're just going to dive right into the news today because do you know who is complaining on this Tuesday? Who? The Scotch Whiskey Association in Scotland. Really? What are they complaining about? They are complaining because they are concerned that on Monday, yesterday, President Trump mentioned that he might impose tariffs on $4 billion worth of additional goods coming out of the EU, which would include olives, Italian cheese, and scotch whiskey. I mention this because, of course, this has been an incredibly difficult planting season across uh, the Mm -hmm. Corn Belt. It was a very difficult calving season for a lot of folks, and I imagine that agriculture has consumed its fair share of scotch whiskey here over the past six months. And so their thought is that uh, if these tariffs go into a place, it is going to raise the cost of scotch as we pay for it here in the U.S. They're concerned it's going to hurt their industry. And Madison, I did not know this, but scotch whiskey is the largest food export from Great Britain. Did you know that? No, I didn't. It beats salmon, chocolate, and cheese. It's a $5.7 billion export market in Britain, which, uh, which that was surprising to me. Yeah, that's really surprising. You know, we make uh, fantastic ethanol here in this country, both for the fuel of our vehicles <laughs> and for the fuel of our Friday nights in the form of beers and bourbon, the American uh, really grain spirit. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, they in in Scotland alone, they've got over 120 distilleries producing Scotch whiskey, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, that is really interesting. It's, so we'll see, yeah. listeners, if you are an avid Scotch drinker, get those bought soon because we could see these tariffs add to the prices. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, Mike, speaking of prices, we were talking about how a lots of different countries are trying to limit certain farm subsidies and how that's kind of slowing down. But looking at the direct payments from the U.S. government to farmers and ranchers in 2019 are trending a lot higher this year, especially with the trade war with the EU, uh, Canada and Mexico and China. It's really hurt the farm economy. Um, and in the last decade, farm payments have actually averaged $11.5 billion per year and topped out at $13.8 billion in 2018. But this year, the USDA, yeah. The USDA. Oh, nothing. I was just going to say, what, what, what are you expecting this year? <laughs> yeah, this year, the USDA is thinking we are going to push payments above $21 billion. Obviously, this is because of, you know, all of the issues we've been having with planting and 
weather and just trade and everything, really. But the department does plan to dole out another $14.5 billion in direct trade aid for 2019 production in three separate um, tranches. And it's estimated that $9.7 billion will be paid out this year with the rest coming in 2020 if needed. Um, Yes, if mm -hmm. needed. That's the wild card. I know. And the additional money does come on top of the $11.5 billion in direct payments USDA has already expected to make this year, which includes the first round of trade aid, conservation payments, and other annual programs. Lots of dollars coming out of Washington, D.C. Lots of dollars, but it is still not... um, equal, I guess, to the levels of payments we had to make in the 80s with the farm crisis. So, I mean, that could be good. That's kind of a good sign. Right. I mean, yeah, that's positive. Mm -hmm. We're not paying out as much as we were when the whole sector was absolutely in crisis. So that's a win, right? I'm seeing it as a win because we haven't quite hit that point yet. But lots of people are questioning Trump's trade relief programs. And, you know, if they violate the World Trade Organization rules on agricultural subsidies and, you know, if he really is helping agriculture. Yes. Yeah, Uh, that is a huge concern. And it is one of those things that is being discussed outside of the farm community. I wish I had saved this. There was a really interesting op-ed in the Burlington, Iowa Hawkeye um, by a fellow by the name of Alan Grundert. And uh, let me see if I can pull it up here. Basically, he was talking about the issue facing agriculture isn't so much the weather or the markets or the trade war. Those are all issues that are having an impact on our bottom lines. But his thought was the longer issue, the longer, bigger term, longer term, bigger issue, I should say, is the fact that ag has for 250 years been viewed very, very favorably by people outside the industry. Folks have always had a tendency to like and trust farmers. America was built on the idea of the yeoman farmer out there making our own way. Mm-hmm. And now with the trade aid and with some of the, the problems that are facing American farmers, we're losing a lot of that. I don't know if you want to call it respect or political capital or, or however you want to word it, but uh, it was a very, very good discussion. If I can find it, I will retweet it at Ag News Daily on our Twitter. Uh, love to get your thoughts, listeners, on this op-ed, so be sure to check us out on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Find us at Ag News Daily. And actually, Madison, I have a story that works in pretty much with exactly the things you are talking about, and this is coming out of uh, coming from Brent Gloy with uh, Agricultural Economic Insights, formerly with Purdue University. He was looking at recent Economic Research Service data from the uh, USDA, and he has found that agriculture sector, farm sector, working capital, the amount of cash that farmers have on hand to make investments to, you know, be the safety net if things really go to hell, is at the lowest level it has been – in at least 15 years, it has been declining, of course, since 2012, since we had uh, record high commodity prices. And now the working capital level across the sector is, quote, 
critically low. Uh, um, today, the amount of working capital available to growers is $38 billion, and uh, that is the lowest since 2009. Excuse me, not, not 15 years, but 10 years. That's only as far back as ERS has been keeping track of this. And um, yet he's got a chart here. And I tell you, it peaked at just over $160 billion of working capital in 2012, down to 38. So the well is getting dry for American ag. And that's why these farm programs, whether or not you like them from a political perspective, have been so appreciated, uh, particularly by bankers these past, uh, this past year and this upcoming year, because yeah, that's a little shot in the arm of some cash money, which growers certainly need. Yes, definitely. Um, and I think, I don't know, I just hope we can get a win with these trade deals and see, you know, prices go up and maybe not have to have as many of these programs in place. Yes, I, I think if if we can, I don't know, though, it's going to be a, I was going to say if we could settle the trade issues, at least it would be one less piece of uncertainty, one less mm-hmm. bearish piece of uncertainty in the markets. But at the same time, with African swine fever out there, with the mm-hmm. glut of, uh, of corn, I mean, there's just a lot of headwinds coming at the industry for the next year or two. That's for sure. Yes, definitely. Definitely. What other news do you have for us, Madison? Well, one thing that I saw, um, kind of relating to, obviously, the pork industry, but U.S. pork producers are actually trying to find some new buyers because um, we have lost hundreds of millions of dollars in export sales to China and Mexico after Donald, after President Trump um, launched these trade talks and trade um, discussions last year. And it's been largely offset those massive losses by cobbling together new customers in smaller markets. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's build a coalition. Exactly. From smaller markets, and this includes, you know, Colombia and Vietnam, and they mentioned South Korea. This is all coming from the U.S. Meat Export Federation and the USDA. But, you know, American farmers are kind of pinning their hopes on trade deals with China, especially after last week's G20 summit. But... You know, this past year, pork exports fell 3.9% by volume and 8.4% by 4% by value from May 2018 to April 2019. And, you know, compared to the year earlier. Um, and so hopefully we can really find maybe another trade partner, especially for pork. And I know they do mention soybeans in this article and just really ag products overall. And if we can get into those smaller markets, maybe that would just be a win overall for us. Yes, it would. A win would certainly be welcome. And we would certainly like to see the, uh, oh yeah, yeah, I don't know, anything mm-hmm. positive, any, mm-hmm. anything positive come down the pipe. If we could put together a coalition of buyers for our goods and services Definitely. and agriculture, outstanding. That's what we need to be doing. Definitely. And, and if, you know, we can get those smaller, get into those smaller markets with the, you know, less developed countries and we have more trading partners, if one, you know, decides, oh, we don't want to trade with you anymore, then we still have others. And it's not just, you know, we have two. And if one drops out, well, then we're down to one. Right. Diversification. Mm-hmm. 
it is a very prudent risk management technique. Definitely. Well, I just have one other very, very brief piece of news coming out of USDA. They released their um, Agricultural Resources and Environmental Indicators 2009 report. This comes from uh, the ERS yet again. And uh, they talk about different ways in which the industry is utilizing the materials we have at hand, how we're utilizing our land, how we're utilizing our water, what we're doing for commercial inputs, be it seed, uh, chemical, fertilizer, you name it. Um, and basically they found a couple of things that were interesting. Um, they did say that federal funding for the five largest voluntary conservation programs, um, which would be your CRP, EQIP, CSB, uh, draw a blank on some of the others, uh, that was roughly $6 billion in 2017. And I thought this was interesting. The report also went into detail on the uh, usage of precision ag technologies. And the one that they have brought out in their press release is the use of variable rate technology, VRT. And they say that between 15 and 40% of U.S. farms, and it varies according to crop, have used variable rate application equipment to either cut down on cost or to improve return by maximizing yield in certain areas of their fields. I think that's fascinating considering it was just, I don't know, five, ten years ago, VRT wasn't even really an issue. And now we've got, in some crops, 40% of farmers utilizing it. Wow, that's that's kind of crazy thinking how much it's really grown also. Yes. Yes. I think it is very exciting. Yes, it definitely is. Um, and one last thing that I have t- um, to add in, Mike, is it to add on to a new kind of a news article we talked about yesterday with the G20 summit and how China was going to purchase large amounts of ag products from U.S. farmers. Um Obviously, they really didn't give us any details on that, but more details did come out today. They're really looking at soybeans, pork, and ethanol. Um, and Beijing did buy another 544,000 metric tons last week. And this is the largest purchase since March. So hopefully we can see another win. And in addition, for with pork, um, China's really looking to us because of the whole African swine fever um, issue that they have going on. Um, And again, that's kind of been in the news for a while. So hopefully we can see another win for U.S. farmers. You bet. That would be fantastic. And I tell you, the hog markets were up today. Madison, what do you think? Should we take a look through the rest of the markets and see how the day wrapped up? Let's do that, Mike. All right, folks. Well, let's do it. Let's dive into the markets. And remember, them. our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. You need to have a marketing plan in place. And a lot of times, having expert advice and help managing that marketing plan and that marketing risk can go a long way. Give our friends at Zaner a call to do just that. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 or find them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. We've got mixed trade in the grain markets today with corn higher, beans and wheat closing lower. September corn was up three and a half cents at 4.19 even with the December contract also up three and a half to finish at 4.26 and, uh, excuse me, finish at 4.26 even. Jumping down to soybeans, the August contract was down a dime at 8.79 and three quarters. November down nine and three quarters to finish the day at 8.98 and three quarters. In Chicago wheat, the September was off eight and a half cents at 5.03 and a quarter. December down eight and three quarters. 
quarters, closed the day at 5.15 and a half. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got mixed trade in the cattle complex today. August live cattle unchanged on the day, finished at 104.10, with the October contract down 17.50, finishing at 105.35. Some strength returns to feeder cattle. The August contract was up $1.35, closing at 138.37.50, with the September up $1.20, finishing at 138.82 and a half. And in lean hogs, some mixed trade today. The August contract was up 27.5 cents at 78.97.50 with the October down 15 to close the day at 73.05. Jumping over to the world of dairy, we did see some weakness develop in the Class 3 milk contracts today. The July contract was down 9 cents, finishing at 17.38, with the August unchanged on the day, closing at 17.90. Now, today is, of course, Hashtag Tech Tuesday, and that is brought to us by our friends at HTS Ag. What should you expect from Precision Technology? How about a system that works from planting to harvest? It works with any color of equipment. It works seamlessly from field to computer. It comes with a team that is 100% dedicated to helping you benefit from Precision Technology. Ag Leader's Complete Precision Package is driving the new agriculture. Contact HGS Ag, your premier Blue Delta Ag Leader dealer at 800-741-3305 or visit htsag.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Well, folks, as I mentioned, it is our hashtag Tech Tuesday day here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, and we're very excited. We're talking to Gary Thompson. He's the marketing director for a very innovative company out of California called Gus Automation. Gary, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Yeah, thank you very much. Love to chat with you about our Gus product. Well, so before we get too far into it, let's just get it off our chest. What have you guys developed there at Gus? <clears throat> yeah, so we've developed the world's first autonomous orchard sprayer. So it's completely driverless, no human being on the machine itself, uh, just goes through the orchards and sprays the trees. So it's a foliar application. Uh, it can be either fertilizers, uh, nutrients, or fungicides or pesticides uh, that need to go on the trees. Uh, the number one crop here in California, as many know, is almonds. And it's, it is the number one acreage crop in the state right now, and just over 1.3 million acres of almonds. So that's kind of our main market. Uh, but also, you got pistachios, you got citrus, walnuts, you've got uh, stone fruit. There's there's quite a few uh, different tree crops, and um, all of them need to be sprayed. Uh, almonds, for example, typically are sprayed between six and ten times per year. Uh, depending on the season and depending on the uh, grower, whereas some of your other higher-end, um, like stone fruit crops, can be sprayed quite a bit more than even that, and some of the citrus. Well, that is fascinating. You know, I, I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with the, the Midwest corn-soybean rotation where you're spraying, you know, maybe at most four times a year, and you've got that spread out across the growing season. When you think of the demand that you at Gus are working to address, obviously there's a time component, but what other things are driving a move towards automation or, or what justifies that kind of investment for these growers? Yeah, so mainly it's the labor shortage that we deal with um, here in California is what drove this innovation. Uh, we ourselves have been in the commercial spraying business for 37 years. That's kind of our background. And uh, we are the largest commercial spraying company in California. 
Um, started basically with uh, one tractor back in 1982 and have grown to what we are today. Uh, and the main thing that drove this is we just flat had such a challenge finding people to drive our tractors. Uh, huh. It's just there truly is a labor shortage. And um, on top of that, um, labor is very expensive, as you know, and <clears throat> there's a lot of regulation involved with uh, spraying the types of materials that we're spraying. And uh, we just thought there could be a better way. So what we're doing is we're having one one person that can monitor up to eight of our Gus sprayers at a time. So the labor efficiency is huge with Gus versus having eight employees driving eight tractors. You got one guy watching eight of them. And when you're spraying orchards, it's, it's very slow, tedious work. Uh, typically, you're going to be driving the sprayer two to three miles per hour, and you're spraying anywhere from 100 gallons per acre up to, you know, four or 500 gallons per acre. And the tree rows are set about 20 to 22 feet apart. So much different uh, animal than, you know, the corn uh, spray rigs that have 160 foot boons on them. Um, <laughs> it definitely is very time consuming. So more spray rigs out in the field. And, you know, your typical window to get a spray on is about five days is your goal in order to get ahead of the pest or get ahead of certain weather pattern or something. So um, you need a lot of machines and with tractors, that means a lot of people. With Gus, we, uh, we're simplifying that. And you hit on something huge, and I, I know this is a big deal out in California. Maybe you can elaborate on it a little bit more. Is the regulation, getting drivers certified to handle mm -hmm. the chemical, making sure that the, you've got the, the right person with the right permits in place to do the spraying, when you've automated everything, does just the one guy monitoring the sprayers or doing the tank mixing have to be certified, or do you have to get the devices themselves certified somehow? Uh, so we still have a mixing guy, and he's going to drive in our business. He drives a nurse truck, so he mixes the materials into our nurse trucks and then drives out to the spray rigs, the gust sprayers, which are at the field, and he will load them. So basically what we've um, removed so far from the equation is the tractor drivers themselves that are pulling the spray rigs. Uh, we still do use a mixing person, but right there alone, I mean, you, you greatly limit the exposure potential uh, and the regulation involved by just having that one guy. And with that nurse truck, he can, he can keep four of the gust sprayers filled at a time. So that's, that's kind of our ratio is one to four. The machines themselves don't need um, a certification, as you had asked. But, yes, the employees that are involved in handling the materials, they do need to be uh, trained on how to handle them and, and all that. Now, as well, let's talk about the machines themselves. You've got some great yep. pictures on your website of what these gust sprayers look like. They're basically four-wheel drive tanks. With, um, you don't call them booms, what's the spray mount on the back called in California? Is it a boom? Yeah, so it's um, so it's just, we call it a blower uh, rig. Mm. So it's got a 36-inch fan on the back of it, uh, 173 horsepower Cummins diesel engine, has a direct drive um, shaft that goes to that fan and spins it. Uh, we run about 2,200 RPM. So we can really push the air out there, and then you have a Myers two-stage pump 
centrifugal pump that is pushing our material through the nozzles out into that airstream. And that airstream <clears throat> gets up into the canopy, really moves the, the leaves around and gets good, um, good penetration into the trees. That's the reason for driving so slow as you do uh, the two to three mile an hour speeds is just to make sure that you get really good coverage on that tree. And how and many gallons? That, the, oh. Yeah, I was just going to answer that. 600 gallon uh, tank on the spray rig. So like I said, typically it's a uh, hundred gallon per acre spray, sometimes two, 300, even more than that. Uh, but a typical load is going to take about 40 minutes or so to spray out. And at that point, uh, we, we program the sprayer to spray a certain amount of rows and then it will automatically stop on the avenue for its refill. And then the nurse truck comes up, he refills it as soon as it's full. Then our monitoring person, he just hits resume for that spray rig and it continues driving and it'll spray its next loadout. That is fascinating. Now, you mentioned the Cummins engine. Is that engine both running the fan at the back as well as propelling the sprayer itself? Yes, it is. We have a hydrostatic drive, so we have a wheel motor uh, on all four corners. Um, so it is it is propelling the spray rig. It's uh, four-wheel hydraulic steering, and the reason for that is we wanted to be able to turn from one tree road to the very next. Um, so we do have about a 18-foot turning radius uh, with that machine. Very efficient. Uh, it's, it's by far the most efficient way to spray in orchards. And on top of that, just extremely precise. So anytime you have uh, human operators on the machine, you're going to be prone to operator error. And this mainly comes into play with not maintaining the correct speeds that you're supposed to. Um, also, when you make your turns on the avenues, you have to turn the spray off as you exit the orchard, make your turn, and then turn the spray back on. With humans, uh, very challenging to get multiple people to um, turn them on and off exactly when they're supposed to. But with our sprayers, our gust sprayers, you can have that be a perfect line the entire way down the field. So very precise, better for the orchard, and also better for um, less drift concerns, less um, chances of overspraying, underspraying, um, all of that. It's it's really incredible. And some videos, uh, listeners, check them out. G-U-S-S-A-G is the website, Gus Ag. And it's just very cool to watch these things move through the orchards. How many of these spray rigs have you guys built so far? <clears throat> so right now we're running seven of them in our own commercial spraying business. And we've sprayed uh, just over 24,000 or sorry, 34,000 acres so far um, to date with our rigs in our own commercial business. And this year we are taking them to market. So we're commercializing it. We're going to start sales. Um, the first deliveries of our spray rigs are going to go to customers later this summer. Um, so really, it, you know, this innovation, it, it definitely took a long time. We started it in uh, 2015, never been done before. The biggest challenge that we have um, compared to like the row crop industry is when you get under that tree canopy, you lose GPS signal. Right. And so that was, that was the number one concern when we started this thing and why everyone told us that it was impossible. You just flat out don't have GPS. How are you going to make this thing drive itself? Well, it took us about three years, three and a half years to, to figure it out and how to, how to be able to 
guide the machine without GPS signal. And that's through a combination of some different sensors. Uh, we have a, a laser on the front of it that does a lot of that. It's constantly looking in the front of the machine. Uh, part of what it's doing is looking at the tree trunks. And then we have software that keeps the machine centered down that tree row. That laser is also looking for obstacles. So um, every orchard out there has pumps, it has power poles, um, mm. just random objects out there, sheds. <clears throat> so if we do encounter something like that, the machine will see it and it'll stop itself. So and, and, and then, so while <clears throat> your monitoring guy is watching uh -huh. the, the the seven or the eight machines <clears throat> out running, does he see that one stop? And then can he take control to guide it around, or does it? sense its way around yeah. whatever obstacles in its way yeah so there's a couple things first off if there is an obstacle and it's offset in the row enough for the machine to be able to go around it the machine will do that on its own so it'll it'll look to the side and determine how much space it has to go around it and if it has enough space it'll make a little correction get around the obstacle and then continue down the row if let's say there's a fallen tree uh right in the middle of the row and there's no way to get around it, the machine will see it and stop itself. It sends a message to the computer of the guy that's watching the machines and then he knows to go out there and take control. So there's a couple things he can do. He can use, um, he can plug an Xbox controller into his laptop, pull up <laughs> a camera on the front of the machine and he's got live video play from the camera on the front of the spray rig. And then he can drive it around with that Xbox controller. And so he can do that, or he can go out to the machine itself. <clears throat> There's a, a remote control that's on the machine. He can pull that out of its box and drive it around like that. So and, and he brought up another thing, the guy, the guy monitoring. So the guy monitoring, he basically sits in a pickup field side, and he has a laptop inside his truck. <clears throat> and he's using a cellular connection to communicate with all the spray rigs. So, and he's receiving um, all the information from all the rigs at once. It's basically shows up kind of like a GPS screen. So it's a, a satellite image of the field. And then all of his spray rigs show up as individual icons. He's able to click on any one of those icons. And then it shows all the pertinent information from that spray rig. It'll show the engine temp. It'll show the oil pressure. It'll show how many GPS satellites that machine's receiving, if any. Like I said, we can operate without any of them. Um, it'll show the machine speed, the RPM, whether the fan's on or off, uh, whether the spray itself is on or off, both on the left side and the right side of the spray manifold. And he can start the machine. He can stop the machine. He can change the speed on the fly. Um, just complete control of those machines. So any issue that arises, we know that we want to make his workload as minimal as possible since he is watching eight machines. We want the computer to alert him. So an error pops up when something happens and the machine that has the error, it'll flash and he can click on it and take a look and it could be that the machine was blocked by you know, a fallen tree or something. So then he knows to take control of it. That's incredible. Now, you mentioned you're going to market later this year. This will be commercialized. Growers around the world will be able to order one. Just rough numbers. What's the sticker price on a fully automated sprayer? 
Yeah, so the sticker price is 285000 for a gust sprayer, um, and definitely uh, very worth worthwhile for a lot of growers when you do the math on um, what labor's costing, what labor's going to do, especially in the near future. And most of our growers that have come to us and talked to us, they say, I can't even fill the tractor seats that I have now. So just getting these gust sprayers is going to do me a lot better because I can actually run all the spray rigs I need to and get the sprays on that I need to get on. Absolutely. You know, having having a tracker, even if you save a couple of bucks, it doesn't do you any good if it can't be out in the field running. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. So, Gary, yep. we have taken a lot of your time today. I think this is absolutely fascinating technology. Tell our listeners where they could go to get some more information and kind of keep up with everything you guys are doing mm-hmm. there at Gus. Yeah, so you can go to our website, gusag.com, G-U-S-S-A-G.com, or um, you can go to our Twitter, our Instagram, or our Facebook. They're at Gus Automation. And, you know, one thing we we really like to impress on people, we're, we're in the spray business. That's what we've done for many, many years, spraying orchards. Uh, we also spray vineyards. So we are developing a, a vineyard spray rig as well that's unmanned. And we feel like this is just the beginning for us. Uh, the hardest part for what we've done is make the thing drive up and down the row and make turns. Uh, we figure we can adapt this technology to many different machines that do different applications and, you know, potentially even row crops one day. Right. You throw that 120-foot boom on there and, and goose that speed a little <laughs> bit. Heck, we'll take you out in corn country. <laughs> yes, sir. Fantastic. Well, Gary Thompson, thank you much for for taking the time to talk to us today. All right. Well, thank you very much. Well, huge thanks to Gary there with Gus um, Ag. Really interesting what they're doing over there and how they're really changing the game, I would say, in uh, production agriculture. You know, I think so, particularly on the orchard side. Mm-hmm. Listeners, I can't emphasize this enough. If you think this stuff is at all interesting, hop on their website and just watch. Their their homepage is a video of these massive sprayers moving through these orchards and turning tightly. And it's it's just really cool stuff to see. And, you know, Madison and I were talking about it, and she's exactly right. It looks like something out of Star Wars. I mean, it is <laughs> it's kind of creepy if it weren't it, so cool. It doesn't look like it should be this century type of machinery right. like it's def it's a definitely like the future is here like that's what it's meant for yeah yeah it is it is very cool so listeners check them out um if you want to get caught up in any of our past episodes you can obviously do that on the internet but madison where should they go to do such a thing well my listeners can always go to our website at globalagnetwork.com, but they can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. Excellent. Listeners, check us out there. And with that, Madison, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. <laughs> <laughs>